when you first got to varsity at Pasadena, who was the first person to bust your butt or, or that kind of welcome to varsity moment where you realized this was a whole different level of football? Yeah, I think, you know, when I was in high school, we uh, that was the last time that Pasadena High School had made the playoffs. So we had some pretty good guys. You know, we had guys like Ruben Martinez, who was Houston Touchdown Club finalist for Offensive Player of the Year. And then uh, he he played both ways, offense and defense. And so, uh, you know, him and Wayne Duvall really, really, you know, would, would put it on because, you know, you had to practice hard to be successful. And so, you know, I was scout team quarterback and then, you know, coming down, running those plays and doing some quarterback runs. And, you know, they there was times that they might have took it easy, but at first they let you know, you know, you don't don't try to have a little success. So. Uh, you know, definitely Wayne Duvall, linebacker, and Ruben Martinez were, were a couple ones that, that made it known, you know, hey, you're with the big boys. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy, one more line, record the track just one more time, my family think I bump my head, lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy, one more line, record the track just one more time, my family think I bump my head, lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, I'm just fine, I'm good enough. All right, welcome back to another play, uh, another episode of the Team Player Podcast. I am joined by the new head football coach and campus athletic coordinator at the Aldine High School, the place that holds the, the most dearest, you know, sincerity and love in my heart. He is also the secretary of the Hispanic Texas High School Football Coaches Association. Welcome to the show, Cirillo Ojeda. Thank you. Glad to be here. And, you know, for anyone tuning in, if you're a part of this team player movement, please make sure you have given us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening on. That helps us reach more people with these stories of coaches making a difference. And what I like to do is hit the follow button to subscribe to all my favorite podcasts. So that way I get the latest episodes in my queue. As soon as they come out, we would be honored if the team player podcast made it into your rotation. All right, coach, let's get to know you a little bit. I've known you for, from, my, you know, from coaching. We crossed paths several times, but for the listeners tuning in, you grew up, you spent elementary in South Houston, and then you moved to Pasadena. So for people like us, and I, I mean, I know Pasadena, but I'm not too familiar with it. I know that there is a South Houston High School, which is a part of Pasadena ISD. So my question is, is, is uh, are, are those two separate towns? Are they seen as two separate towns or is there a rivalry there? What, what's kind of the d- dynamic between South Houston and Pasadena? Yeah, so South Houston has its own city hall. So, you know, there's Pasadena City Hall, South Houston City Hall. And so, you know, that's that's the battle of South Shaver kind of thing. Right. So when back in the uh, you know, actually, Coach Ray Ward used to be my head coach and he was a Pasadena guy. But he went to he was part of that group that they were actually all at Pasadena High School when they were building Soho. So both campuses were split, but at Pasadena High School. So, you know, those kids ended up going to Soho when it opened. And so that's right. We share the same street, you know, we're South Shaver. So there's definitely the rivalry there. Uh, some of the old traditions before Sam Rayburn was open and all that, uh, you know, they, there was pictures in the yearbook where they would uh, bury Hector, have a funeral for their, uh, their, their, you know, uh, their mascot, the Trojan. 
And so they would, they would walk them through the hallways in a coffin. And so, you know, back in the, the, the 50s and 60s and stuff. And then, you know, Galena Park was the old, old time rival. So, but yeah, be, being in South Houston, right down the street, they're, they're neighboring communities, but it's all Pasadena ISD. That's cool that you had that rivalry built in there. And it's also, it's, I just think it's great that you, you kind of, you, you really lived it all the way through. It sounds like you were kind of on that feeder pattern from a young age. So eventually you do get to Pasadena high school class of 98. You mentioned Ray Ward was your head coach. You, you played football, you played baseball, and you also ran track. So my question is just describe to the listeners, what, what was that experience like, you know, at Pasadena high in the late mid to late nineties there? Yeah, it was a really good, there was a lot of excitement around the program, you know, coming off three years of, uh, of playoffs. And so, uh, you know, just doing the things that coaches ask you to do, you know, when things are successful and they're moving in the right direction, you kind of get a lot of buy-in uh, from, from everybody on the campus. And, you know, when football is doing good, everybody's excited and everything else just feels good about it, you know? So uh, it, it was good back then, you know, and I, and I think that, uh, the participation levels were a lot higher and, and things going on. I know uh, I kind of always keep tabs on my hometown. And so, you know, I kind of look at what's been going on and, and uh, you know, hopefully they can get those things going in the right direction, but, you know, focusing on all that that's my number one priority. Absolutely. And just looking back one more time, you know, I know you played quarterback on the football team, but I'm also interested. You did three sports. I know a lot of times coaches, you know, we, we love seeing those three sport athletes and kids staying involved in the off season. So what, what position did you play in baseball? And then what events did you run in track? Yeah. So, uh, baseball was second, uh, was second base. And then in track, I was a distance runner. So, you know, anything okay. that, that had a long, long distance, uh, early on, uh, it was really structured with like, Hey, you're on the football team, you're running track. So yep. I would go to track practice. <laughs> yeah. And then I would go to baseball practice because our baseball coaches were football coaches. So it was, it was, you, you weren't going home, you know, the bell rang. Uh, it's not football season. The bell rings, boom, we're going to track practice. And then when baseball starts, you still get that track workout in and then you go over to baseball and then you go get your infield and, and, and hitting stations and all that. So uh, it was definitely just, Hey, work, 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 go to sleep, get up, do it the next day. So, uh, you know, I kind of have that mentality. You got to work hard. You want to be good at something. That's what you got to do. Amen, coach. I mean, that, that's how I found out what a shot put and discus were. I mean, I, it was completely foreign to me. And they're like, Kobe, you're, you're going out to track practice. And I was like, what the heck is this thing? <laughs> you know, right. so shout out Coach Kitterman, Coach Stewart. Um, you know, we're kind of in the same era. Did, did you guys also have those those little shimmel, shimmy, shimmel t-shirts? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That oh yeah, was... you know we we didn't talk about the six pack. We talked about the eight pack. You know, <laughs> Every, everybody could have the two or four at the top, but did you have the the, the full pack? You know, so uh, we we always had that uh, going on, especially for the big the big boys owned the belly though. Amen. You know, and the shimmel shirts they they loved it. They 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 embraced it. That's so they, right, it yeah. was full belly hanging out. No no shame in it. it those are the <laughs> those were the big boys. Oh man, good memories there of the '90s. But just looking back, I know, I know you described the history of Soho breaking, you know, starting and kind of splitting the Pasadena high feeder pattern. But when you were in school, who who was your big rival? I mean, was it was it Soho? Was it Rayburn? I mean, what how, how what, who was you? Who would you say was your biggest rival when you were in school? Yeah, it was Sam Rayburn. You know that that's always been the last game of the season, and so by the time that that rivalry was going, you know that you. You always have those that district pride, you know, of, of all the other uh, games. But Rayburn was definitely the one where it's like, you know, Pasadena Rayburn right down the street, uh, you know. And so that that when that split happened, that just kind of created that whole, you know, north side, 
uh, and then just Rayburn community. And so, you know, the split just kind of created the rivalry because, sure. oh, well, I'm not an Eagle no more. I'm, I'm a Texan. So, yeah. uh, you know, that was, that was a big game. That's where they do the parade. Uh, there's a uh, burn Sam carnival. They do burn Baldy carnival and pep rally and, and, you know, all those good things. So, you know, the after school pep rallies and, and actually like, you know, when I was in high school, they, you know, you can't do things like that nowadays, but they would, they would hang Sam and then burn, him, right, sure. you know? And so, uh, you know, and they would kind of do similar things over at Sam Rayburn high school. So it was, it was a lot of fun, you know, wrapping houses and, and egging houses. Now you're going to get arrested. So, you know, I always <laughs> tell kids don't, don't go do stuff like that. Those were just different times back then. So sure. uh, that's, that's a big rivalry. That whole week is just Rayburn week and uh, festivities, activities, and, you know, the, you know, just, just the heart of, you know, Texas high school football and, and kind of what that brings. And it did, didn't ever matter what the records were by either team that that was going to go on that week. And so, you know, that was obviously the fresher, the fresher rivalry because New, uh, Rayburn had opened sooner, but w when did it open? Like how fresh was that split between uh, the Pasadena high? I believe, I believe the seventies is my memory. Oh, it was seventies. Like, uh, is that okay? Rayburn's that, at, okay. Yeah. I, I believe. Yeah, I think so. I'm I'm totally not sure, but okay. uh, yeah. So it had been established I believe, like, a little it, bit, but that it's, rivalry it's been established, there. right? Right, because you had Pasadena, then they then they uh, they built Soho, and then they built Rayburn, and then they uh, actually I don't I'm not sure where Dobie comes in there, and then yeah. Memorial's last, obviously. Sure, sure. Now looking back, and I, I know you you say class of '98. I'm speculating here, but I know my good friend Jimmy Hammond was a quarterback for your rival Rayburn Texans. I just don't know if the timelines, I don't know exactly what class he is. I know he's a little older than me, but did did you and Jimmy Hammond have a Titanic QB1 no, battle in 98? No, <laughs> no, we didn't. We didn't. Okay. Uh, he, he might have been a couple older. years behind. Or, yeah, he's older than me, but oh, okay. you know, our, our our battles, you know, we kind of went went through as coaches because when I was yeah. the offensive coordinator at Pasadena, he was the coordinator at Rayburn. That's right. That's and right. So that was kind of the the connection whenever uh you know he was at Ridge Point as a DC. So uh so yeah, you know, it it's all about making those connections and you know, kind of proving your worth along the way and then seeing where it leads. So after high school, you know, obviously you loved your time at Pasadena. Just it's really cool just hearing all that tradition. I can just see you kind of lighten up, just recounting those good memories. You decided to stay stay at home and go to the University of Houston, go Cougs. So what was it? Sure, what Cougs. was it about Houston that kind of drew you to it? Uh, I have a big family, so you know, leaving leaving wasn't an option, you know. And so uh, having a big family, seeing them, I actually did a, a summer program uh, my sophomore year in 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 Oklahoma. So that that summer program kind of made me I was really, really homesick. That was my sophomore year. So it was a real easy decision to stay. You know, I got accepted into UT and A&M and U of H, which I all applied to. And then, uh, you know, U of H, I was like, I got to stay home. And so that way I could always visit home, go go home to my my younger brothers and sisters, go home to my parents and, you know, uh, be able to be where my whole family's here in Houston. So it, it was a real easy decision. I mean, we've seen some big moments in UH sports over the past 10, 20 years, but I mean, I'm just blown away by the ascension of the men's basketball program under Kelvin Sampson. So, I mean, has that been, I mean, I, I'm an adopted U of H fan. I, I went to a, I went to a D3 private school for college, Austin college, but I, now that I'm here in Houston, I've just embraced it wholeheartedly. Um, what's it been like for, can you describe just that feeling as an alum of, of just seeing Kelvin Sampson, what he's done for the men's basketball program? 
Oh yeah, for sure. You know, and so I, I've been there obviously through, you know, the Clyde Drexler era and, yeah. and, you know, through, through, uh, uh, Tom Penders and things like that. So it's always just been on the cusp, you know, it's always kind of been just, we know it could be everybody, you know, talk about five slamma Gemma and, and all those days. And then when you, when you get to, okay, well now we're, we're dancing every year, you know, it's not a question of, you know, whether we're going to dance with, Hey, how far are we going to get? And so, uh, you know, just seeing, especially this year, following the team and all the injuries they had, and it, it kind of, you know, you relate that to anything you do. And those are great lessons for, for the kids that we talk to here is like, Hey, next man up, you know, they had, they had two, two huge injuries in Marks and San, in, uh Sasser. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they just kept going this team, this team, that team wasn't even supposed to win the conference and they weren't supposed to go to the elite eight. So, you know, but they, they made their way. And so, you know, and then the last two years, what both, both final four lose by four points, the elite eight lose by four points. Right. So it's not like, you know, it was proven that they didn't belong. They, they definitely belong. And so the, I think they'll be a lot better next year. I'm excited about what that team's going to do. And outside of that, and I guess I, I'm kind of poo-pooing over the football team, which had a, you know, what, 11 oh. win season. They went to the Birmingham bowl. They beat an sec team. Right. So, I mean, they're doing great too, but just what's your, what's your feeling as an alum about the move into the big 12 and into power five athletics? Yeah, I, I think, you know, we, we always talked about that, right? How we didn't get in the Big 12 in the beginning. I know UT and, and A&M are gone and o, OU, but, you know, just that that environment and I think the Big 12 is going to last instead of like when we went to the Big East and then it folded. Uh, so, you know, I think it'll be a lasting thing and, and it's going to be good for recruitment, good for the Houston area. And, you know, they, they kind of let us in. Now, you know, let's see why we need to prove why they wouldn't let us in in the beginning. You know? Amen. Amen. So what did you study in when you, when you got to U of H? Uh, I changed my major a couple of times and then I, I finished out with uh, information systems technology. So, you know, when, when you get into some of these things it, as a head coach, you know, that I'm not really relying on other people to create documents and share folders and drives and stuff. So, you know, I can do, I build, I can build databases and things like that. So yeah. uh, the technology piece is, is definitely a huge component of what I do. So, uh, but but yeah, so just just being at U of H and being able to do technology and and uh, having those uh, that background really helps a lot. I love it. I mean, I, I've always felt that way about just observing you, you know, especially now that you're at Aldi. And I just, I just love like the business like mentality you bring to coaching. It's almost kind of like a CEO kind of mentality in a lot of ways. I think that your background um, in, in information systems can contribute to that. But I'm assuming of that kind of major you weren't necessarily sold that you were, you weren't convinced you were going to be a coach at that time or, or were you thinking about coaching at the, at the time at U of H? Oh, no, I, yeah. I, the coaching was not anywhere <laughs> in, in my thought, you know, as, as a profession. Sure. So my dad, my dad is a, a long time, you know, coach, youth, youth coach, and he's been coaching even before I was born. So uh, he, you know, there was a, at the Magnolia Park Sharks, there was a group of guys that had started that, and then he came in as a real, real young guy, you know, a couple of years in its infancy. And so he's kind of one of the main people that are still around from that that group. And so uh, he's actually still on board with them today. And so, you know, I started helping him um, coach and volunteering. And, I, you know, I married my high school sweetheart. So she's been with me through thick and thin. And so, you know, as I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do and uh, she was just like, if you're going to go and do that, then why don't you get paid to do that? You know, as, as, as my, you know, my, my new wife, you know, kind of thing. 
And I said, well, I mean, I can, but I'd have to be a teacher. And she's like, well, how do you be a teacher? So then I started asking questions. And then that tied me back in to my former teachers who were now in admin roles like Diana Gomez was in, in charge of the alternative certification program for Pasadena ISD. So then I, I reach out to these to them and it's like, oh, well, yeah, you just do this and this. And I'm like, hey, all I got to do is apply to this program and then they'll certify me to be a teacher. And all I got to do is stay in the district for three years. You know, I stayed in the district for 11. But, um, you know, and that that just kind of the pieces just fell into place. And so uh, a bigger part of the decision is after I graduated, I interned at a pension and investment company for about uh, two and a half years. And so whenever I got the my offer, it was really, really low. And I said, well, I can't, you know, I'm married. I can't, I can't, I bought a house. I can't support my family on this salary. And, you know, they, they sell the, hey, it's exponential. You just keep doing good and it's going to grow, grow, grow. Sure, sure. But I was like, hey, right now this, I could go be a teacher and I could make $20,000 more. And so, uh, you know, definitely those are, you know, people say, you know, the money, it's not about the money, it's not, but you definitely have that into consideration when you're taking care of your family and doing those things. So uh, that was all the roundabout, how I made that came to that decision that I was going to be a teacher. And that first year I volunteered, there was no coaching uh, positions available for me at that time. So I volunteered my first year and the second year uh, we had a coach leave. So then uh, coach McFarland and coach Cruz, they hired me on to be the head basketball coach in for seventh uh, for eighth grade. And then uh, I was uh, a B team seventh and eighth grade B team coach. So, uh, yeah, for, for all the list coaches that are listening into this show that maybe maybe you're a coach, maybe you're not a coach, maybe you're just interested in sports and you're doing some other profession. You are now the fourth out of four team player alumnus, team player alumni that did not enter college thinking they were going to coach all four of them. Kendra Venzant, Adam Ramirez, Caitlin Riley and yourself. That's four for four accomplished coaches. I'm talking winning awards in leadership positions that did not they were not thinking they were going to coach in college. So I say all that to say, if you're listening to this show, just because you didn't, you don't have to start at a certain place. There is no necessary like starting point. I mean, anybody can, can find their way into, into this awesome profession. So really cool to hear your background. So I had, I did not know that you, you strike me as a football junkie. And so I just thought that was like, you've always, this has always been your trajectory. So I think it's really cool to hear that. Uh, last question on U of H. So my, one of my old coaching buddies, uh, Aaron Mossick, went to U of H, and he always talked about Frenchies. He swore by it. He's like, Kovo, you got to go. And so w- w- were you there, too? Was that like was that a hangout for you as well? Or Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I've been to the other the other locations when they opened yeah. up other ones. And, you know, it, it's just got to be something about the, the, the Greeks, you know. And so, <laughs> you know, when you when you go out and you see, oh, the new building, the new fryer, the new, uh, you know, it, it just doesn't taste the same. But the original Frank uh, Frenchies on Scott Street, you know, that that's the original. They got all the sides that they don't have it. The franchises, if you, if you want to go Frenchies and you're going to go for the first time, you got to go off Scott Street. You know, you got to drive down there, go go get you go get you a two, three piece, you know, and, yeah. and try it out. Uh, you know, you, you can you know, their their big secret or big. It's not a secret, but their big deal is they you know, the peanut oil. And so you can fry chicken and peanut peanut oil, but you're not going to duplicate what Frenchie does. So, but that's definitely uh, a fan favorite over U of H. 
you know, and then you, you kind of alluded to this, but you started off as a volunteer coach at Jackson Intermediate. You spent two years there, eventually moving up into that, that full co- coaching position like you talked about. So just tell us, you know, what, what, what brought you to Jackson and, and what did you learn from that experience that helped you when you started, when you moved back into the high school ranks? Right. So it was really the program. So once, once you're an alternative certification program, they're kind of like, okay, well, here's the job placements. Here's the, here's the openings. And so uh, I kind of got in a little bit of trouble because, you know, I go in there and I'm, and I'm trying to get a coaching job and they're like, Oh, absolutely not that you, you're going to, it's a teaching job. Sure, sure. Say, well, yeah, but I want to coach. And they're like, no, you're going to, you, you can't do that. So I kind of had met with uh, a couple intermediates and then you know they're like well we don't have coaching and so I'm kind of like okay well thank you so then it got back to them that I wasn't accepting jobs on the spot and so I was like okay well, well y'all tell me what I'm supposed to do because I don't I don't know what y'all are talking about and so um, I took the Jackson role under Paula, Paula Sword and I was able to connect with Coach McFarland and Coach Cruz, who were the, the legendary longtime Jackson guys and, you know, immediately became like my mentors and, you know, helping me do everything that I was doing. And so they were like, yeah, just come on and we'll we'll do what we need to do and, and we'll help you out. So uh, that decision was just kind of, uh, hey, you need to take the next job that someone offers you kind of thing, you know, yeah. and so uh I did that and that's why I was a volunteer that first year sure. because I wasn't uh it, it was the program that said you need to take a teaching job within the district in your certification I was generalist four through eight and then I was teaching math so that that kind of that math track kind of put me there to where when I went to take my content test looking back I probably could have took taken any test but I went ahead and took my eight through 12 math and then I, I became an algebra one teacher what, what what did Jackson feed to? Which high school does Jackson feed to? Pa- uh, Pasadena. Very so cool. They, so you went you went to Jackson? No, no, no. I went okay. to San Jacinto Intermediate. Oh, okay. So uh, so there was no openings there, and yeah. then there was no coaching there. So I was just kind of like, okay, well, I want I wanted to go through my, you know, what I where I went to school. I thought that would be kind of cool, but it just didn't work out that way. Uh, but it, it was really neat uh, to to do that. And and in the Jackson side, though, those were kind of like. Uh, a split so you had when they rezoned Jackson and San Jack a lot of the kids from that area ended up starting to come to San Jack and I remember when I was there it was like oh the Jackson kids are coming you know they're you know they're from the north side of Pasadena and you know this and that but it was fine you know everybody got along and you know uh, I I really love that that area and that side of the community just as much you know and so uh, actually when my home when they redrew everything, we were zoned to Pasadena, but my younger brothers and sisters, they were zoned to Rayburn. But because we went to Pasadena, we all got to graduate from Pasadena. Very cool. Same situation happened to me. I went to Austin High School in Fort Bend. My younger brother went to Travis, you know, so I can totally relate to that same house and everything. Okay, for, I got. we're about to drop a gem here. For all the young coaches listening that are moving up or for even like if you're a youth coach and you're, you're listening, you're, you're teaching youngsters. Tell this story, coach of your first year as a volunteer leading a tackling drill with the seventh grade football team. Yeah. So, so we were doing just a simple angle tackle drill, you know, line up uh, a little staggered with the running back They're They're going to give themselves up and, and uh, tackle and, and we're, we're taking them to the ground. So uh, one kid, it's seventh grade, first time ever playing football and kids running the ball, going to the right, he gets hit. Well, he fumbles the ball. So, you know, I started, get on the ball, get on the ball. And he looks over and 
He's looking at me like I'm crazy. So I, I kind of get animated. I'm like, let's get on the ball. It's a fumble. Get on the ball. So then the other kids start kind of yelling too. And he's still just looking perplexed. Like, like, what are you talking about? And so now I'm getting, you know, a little elevated at that point where I'm like, this kid's not listening. And so, you know, and I'm, I'm 25 years old. I'm a young guy. You know, I've, I've been playing sports since I was, you know, seven years old. And so I'm, and I'm like, get on the, so I get closer and I yell at get on the football still looks at me crazy so i walk over to the ball point at the ball and i'm like get on the ball so now i figure out why he's looking at me crazy he walks over to the ball and he sits on it and so you know it looked like he was like laying an egg and so you know that that was that was really a a moment real early in my career that i had to realize like it's my job to teach those things i'm telling him something that he has no clue and so uh, it, it was it was funny. I just kind of broke the the the, you know, the feeling is just like, OK, I, we laughed. We laughed. But I, I went put my arm around him and I said, hey, no, this is what I mean. And yeah. so, you know, I had already kind of yelled at him. So I get down on the ground and, you know, I get yeah. on the ball and then I cradle it and show him this is what we do. Can you do it? And he's like, I could do that. So then he does it and then we move on. But, you know, just the initial me yeah. telling him to get on the ball. In his mind, he's thinking I'm telling him to sit on the football, and so you know yep. it, it. That that was that was a cool thing. I'll, I'll never forget. And coach, so eventually you, you come back home. You 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 move up to Pasadena High School. You're alma mater, and again, out of the four guests I've had so far, you were the third. You were the third out of four to return to their alma mater to coach. What was that like? How, I could tell you loved your high school experience. So what was that like to return as a coach? And you did it for I believe 11 years. So just just describe the whole experience of Pasadena High School. Yeah, it, it was pretty neat, you know, uh, going through the building and you start seeing your teachers and now they're not your teachers no more. They're your colleagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're always you're always the the student kind of thing until you prove you're not or they accept you as as not. So, you know, everything was always yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. And they're like, no, call me this or call me. that. I'm sorry. I can't call you that. You know, and so, <laughs> uh, you know, the experience was really good. It was it was everybody was really supportive because you know, they're like, oh, this is one of our students this is one of our own. This is. And so they really embrace that, you know, having alumni come back and give back to the school and the community and those kind of things. So it was really, really, really good. And, you know, it kind of kind of became like, kind of like a big man on campus type thing where everybody knew that I was there just to help anything anybody needed, anything anybody needed in any capacity, whether it was sports, teaching, whatever I was there. And, you know, they knew they could call me at any time. And the kids really, really, you know, responded to me. Obviously, I'm I'm a member of the community. I know their I know their aunts, their uncles, their parents. I don't know how many times like, hey, my my uh, my aunt said she went to school with you, or you know, they bring me pictures of the year. That's you, right? Like, yeah. So it's it's a real surreal uh, experience that you know they kind of follow that and they see that. And then obviously, my younger brothers all came through Pasadena and were quarterbacks, and so uh, I got to coach my brother and and be there for my sister's senior year. So, uh, you know, th- those were, those were really neat things, uh, to experience. That that's so cool that, that you got to coach your younger brother. I mean, I, I could only imagine, like, I'm very close to my younger brother as well. And I didn't get that opportunity. I got to, they were actually, when he was on varsity, I was at Ridgepoint. We only had sub varsity at the time for two years. So mm-hmm. I was able, that actually timed up perfectly where, you know, I'd coach a game on Thursday night and then I could watch my brother on Friday nights or Saturdays. 
Uh, so that was really cool to watch. But to coach, man, I'm, I'm so thankful you had that experience, Cirillo. Um, so you're there for 11 years. You, you, you moved up to an offensive coordinator position. You kind of really became kind of known around the area. At least I knew about you, you know, for kind of that, that spread style that you're doing. Really, you're doing some great things at Pasadena. So just can you describe what you learned, you know, in your tenure at Pasadena that you then, as you continued on throughout your career, what, what, what did you learn from that experience? Right. I, I think the biggest thing I learned is that the relationships are everything, you know, getting to know the kids, who they are, where they live, who's taking care of them, what's, what's their environment is really, really the, the key piece to understanding why some things happen. You know, why is a kid late? Why is he uh, not showing up? You know, when, when I'm sending three or four kids, Hey, go to, go to this player's house and knock on his door and get him out of bed and get him up here. Yeah, but we're all going to be late. I don't care. We're going to start when we start. Go get them up here. And so we're dragging kids out of bed in the summer and we're, you know, we're, uh, you know, getting kids up to the school. And, and it's just mainly then knowing that you're important. You know, you're important and we care. If we didn't care, then no one would knock on your door and no one would be there. So uh, those things that, that, I, that we were able to do early on in the career and, and uh, you know, we broke bread together, we bled together, we sweated together. And so, you know, back then I was in there kind of working out with them and, you know, it's like, what do you mean you can't lift it? Come on, let's go. And I, you know, get one yep. in like, well, if coach can do it. I can do it. And um, some of those days are, are kind of gone. I, I don't, I don't hey, think I can match. We're all coming, there, bro. Um, we're all yeah. there. Brother. <laughs> I mean, but, uh, yeah, but yeah, you know, and so, so I, I think the biggest thing for me was just relationships and, and building those bonds, you know, it, it really, it's really great when I get those invitations to weddings and baby showers and, and things like that. And kids, you know, stay connected with me or, you know, just the other day, I'm, you know, I'm at the rodeo uh, walking out and I get a tap on the shoulder and, you know, they, you know, they all know I'm coach of Heather, but, you know, some of the guys that got really, really close to me, they, they want to be, you know, my friend too. So, you know, like, Hey, Cirillo. And so it's like, Hey man, don't in the, and then it's like, oh, I'm just playing coach. And then, uh, you know, he's, he's carrying his son to sleep. And yeah. I'm remembering those days of trying to go to events and taking your kids. And it's not the greatest thing because they're, they're, they're hungry. They're tired. They don't want to walk and they're sleepy and things like that. So it just kind of put me back in a place and, you know, gave him a hug and, and, you know, patted, rubbed his son's back. And, you yeah. know, and, you know, th those are the things that they really are long lasting. And now I, I'm going to, I was going to ask you about this later, but I'm going to deviate because one of the things I think I might, put in the show notes I, I refer to you as the pit master you know I've seen you on social media man you you can you you are you're you're a dude on, on that uh barbecue there so talk a little bit about that I mean I know you're really involved uh you know with uh with barbecue and going to the rodeo and the cook-off and things like that so just just talk about that part of your life I think that's really cool that that you're doing at such a high level yeah I, I feel a little ashamed right now because I haven't lit the pit in in a long <laughs> long while so uh I definitely need to get back on that but yeah you know my my dad barbecued he you know we we've done when I was younger we would do benefit barbecues and things like that and I'd watch my dad just make uh you know 20 briskets on a huge pit and you know I just kind of was like all right so you know and then uh it just kind of started to go from there bought my first pit and started practicing and some briskets were good and some were bad and you know everybody's just wants some some barbecue so they're like yeah it's fine I'm like yeah but it's not good you right, know sure. and so you know just just excuse me the way that I am you know just I'm about I'm trying to perfect it you know and so right. that's what that's what I was constantly doing and then you know uh brisket ribs 
I I hate kick, cooking chicken. I just want to put that okay. out there. Yeah, I I will do it, and and it'll come out okay. I think in my mind, but I I don't like it. people say it, it's really really good, and I'm just like, nah, just sure. it's just not my sure. thing. Chicken is not my thing, but definitely uh, beef ribs, pork ribs, brisket. Uh, you know, I love I love to uh, to kind of smoke some steaks, uh, reverse serum, and then mm. go that way and get a nice medium, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that it's a labor of love, you know, and so, you know, it, it's a, it's more, I think to me more about just fellowship and when I barbecue, people are rolling through and it's a, it's an opportunity to see the family and see friends and, you know, just kind of hang out. So you, you spent 11 years at Pasadena and this, again, is kind of similar to my, there's some parallels here with my experience where I, I coached for 11 years when I, when I left coaching, got into sales, I, I had several different sales stops, just trying to find the right fit. So I finally found Dactronics. I was selling scoreboards where I was very comfortable. I really, and I love it at Dactronics. So, you know, you, a, after 11 years uh, at Pasadena, you spent one year at Ridgepoint, which is also, you know, where I, where I coached, we didn't work at the same time, but we had that connection. You spent one year at Aldi and Eisenhower. So, of course, then not same time as, as I, but, you know, it's kind of same, you know, we're in the same district there. And then you spent two years at Clear Spring. So from those three stops, what was it you what was it you learned, you know, from being a part of those three different programs that, that helped you to get to where you are today? Right. With with uh, Snit, Coach Sniffin, that was really, really the first time that that I had been part of a, a, a top performing successful program. And, you know, uh, while I do respect all my time in Pasadena, we just never made the playoffs. You know, we, we, the best we could get was five and five, four and six. And it was, it was a, a win in itself that we, we were no longer that 0 and 10, 1 and 9 team. And people yep. knew that we were going to, we were going to bring it. And if they didn't prepare for us, right, we, we, we might catch them, yep. you know? And so, uh, you know, just doing that and then going to Rich Point and seeing, okay, this is the structure, man. These kids are, these kids are here. They're, they got this uh, going on after school, you know, what track practice looks like with workouts and then just the balance of running the whole program, uh, the way Coach Sniffin had it, uh, had its uh, structured. And you, you know that, you know, being Absolutely. there as a coordinator. Absolutely. So just, just seeing all that and seeing the documents and the preparation and the planning that, that was put into place and then see it perform at a high level, uh, you know, working with, with Coach Hammond and game planning on the weekends and, uh, you know, just kind of picking his brain on how to defense because I've been an offensive guy the whole time. And then sure. all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, if you want to work here, you're going to be inside linebackers. OK, well, hey, let's 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 take on that challenge. So uh, that was one of the things that that really helped me in my career is going to the defense side of the ball. Absolutely. Then I saw how those those coaches prepared for offenses. And I'm like, oh, well, I could have got you right there. But how do I know to get you right there? You know, and kind of thing. So uh just seeing that was good and then going to Eisenhower uh was kind of uh it was it was a road stop because coach Bamberg was uh what didn't didn't make it through the year and so there was a coach head coaching change and transitioning coordinators so after that it was like okay I gotta do something else and then uh you know I I kind of called up coach Nelson and over at Dickinson and said coach if you can help me in any way you can you know I'm looking for a job you know, it didn't work out at Eisenhower and, you know, uh, hit up Dwayne Lane over at Clear Creek. Yep. And so they said, hey, Coach Daly over at Clear Springs is looking for a quarterback coach, uh, offense coordinator. And so I sent him over and uh, we talked and we met. And so, you know, when I got over there, that that was uh, uh, Coach Daly's, you know, was coming from Katie. 
So there was a lot of things that uh, were in place that were from the Katie way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And so then I saw that structure and that detail and that practice schedule and how that all was structured. I'm like, oh, wow, this is like a like a whole nother level of, of that I didn't even know existed. And so those two years working with Coach Daly was really, really important for my career because it, it, it gave me insight to the I thought I prepared. I thought I was ready until I got there. And I'm like, oh, this, oh, this is what it is. And so that kind of prepared me for my first head coaching job when I got to Sharpstown, you know. So but those those three years, it was it was four years total. But, you know, it really condensed a huge portion of my career. Yeah. And coach, I, I mean, I remember when I took over at Aldean, uh, I guess, you know, 2015, you know, from looking back on my career, I just I feel like I was just better suited as a coordinator. That that was just kind of my personality, like my my strengths, because when you get to the when you when you become the head coach or even we can talk about the cath, campus athletic coordinator piece later, that's a whole different skill set, I think, in a lot of ways. And I heard some of what you describe of Coach Sniffen, who I think is just I think he's one of the best. Like I got to work with him. I was blessed to work with him for five years. He gave me my shot, but like, I just saw the foresight that he had. He, I always kind of felt like he was playing chess when I, maybe I was playing checkers. You know what I mean? Like he was just seeing these moves a couple steps ahead where he could maybe, you know, secure a, a turf practice field and part of the community you know, things like that. Like he was always like working on that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? And it sounds like coach Daly was the same way. This is going to be a little bit longer episode because we have so much in common. I got to ask a little bit about your time at Ridgepoint. You know, I spent five years there. I was a little, I was one of the original Panthers. You talked about Coach Siffin. I'm curious. I'm really curious about the, the Jimmy Hammond deal. You guys were kind of going head to head where he was the DC at Rayburn and you were the OC at Pasadena. And then you come on to his defensive staff at Ridgepoint. What was that like? Can you just talk a little bit more about what that was like to kind of, you know, someone that was your direct competitor now? Like you said, you're in, you're in the film room together game plan for next week right I think our personality styles really mesh together because I went in and when I talked to him early on I said coach I know what role I've had I know I have to step that leadership part back and I have to I have to follow in order to lead later right and I know that's not going to be here at Ridgepoint and maybe eventually it will but you know it depends on how long this stop takes and so uh you know I knew that that probably wasn't my final destination just because of where I had been and then coming into the situation kind of I was inside linebackers coach as an assistant so um you know I think he was very very detailed we're both math guys right yeah, so absolutely uh, yeah so he's very so coach Dober that, that defensive staff is loaded with math guys and yeah. I'm the exact opposite that's why I think me and Dober and Hammond mesh so well it's a good yeah yeah. So, so, you know, he, he's very methodical in what yeah. he was doing. So I would bring a methodical plan of what I was thinking. Yep. And so it kind of started to become, uh, if we do this, what will they do? Hey coach, what is their, their scheme? What is their, this? So, you know, when we get to, when we got to Morton ranch first round playoffs and I'm like, coach, when the quarterback, I, I understand we, he understood the blocking schemes of, everything that that they were blocking when it was beer when it was midline when it was outside beer and so but I I brought the coach when he steps back to the midline and he's here that's midline so then some of those questions were well but they're they're not blocking this guy or that and I say well yeah because the the front changed so now the number one's here the number two's there and so uh but the steps stay the same no matter how the line blocked it for midline beer and outside beer and so 
when we got to that, it really, really was kind of the, the point where it was like throughout the year, hey, coach, they're about to run counter. And it's like, well, how do you know they were going to run counter? Well, they have it. It's second quarter and they've tried this and it's, it hasn't been successful. And they, they ran it and they got three uh, they got three or four yards. Hey, coach, they're coming back counter the other way. Boom, they're running counter the other way. It's like, hey, coach, they're running counter back the other way. Coach, how do you know that? Well, that's what I would do, you know, because I was yeah. bringing the offensive mind to, sure. you know, hey, not, these things have not been working for a quarter and a half. So now we need to pull out some of the things that we haven't, that we do, but we didn't think would work. Well, now let's try to see if it'll work. So, you know, just that kind of, and it, it wasn't really, a, I wasn't always trying to guess the play. It was just more of, hey, coach, uh, if you bring this pressure on the weak side, you're probably going to get them because they're trying to pull. And so then, boom, tackle for loss, and then they didn't run counter the, the rest of the game. So I think we really, really uh, meshed together in that regard where, you know, that year uh, on max preps, it showed that we allowed the fewest n- amount of points in 6A that yeah. year. I remember and that. so, uh, you know, that was huge. And and I would like to think that I played, he, he's the defense coordinator, sure. you know, so, but I would like to think I played a little bit of a role in that, you know, just kind of trying to crack the code of people's offenses and then, you know, provide that information to him with like, cause is what they like to do. Uh, this is how they run it. They run this much, this much, but, you know, going, you know, I'm giving kind of a little bit of my, my secrets, right. We're like, okay, well now. I'm yeah, sure Coach yeah, Crawford yeah. and all them are listening, yeah. you know, Mac and Nike yeah. and Jackson. It's not too much, but, but you know, when we watch film, it's like, okay, well, you can't look at the whole report. This is the, this is off of three, four. This is off of, of a split. This is off of an even front. So when the, when you're looking at data, being a math guy, it's like, I want the specific data. I don't want the whole data because it may not help me if we're a three, four team and I'm looking at, three films on someone that runs a split or, or four, three, you know, so that those are kind of some of the things we look at, you know, I think, and I think I misspoke earlier. I think earlier I said that, that cause Jimmy was on the offensive side of the ball, actually, I believe at Pasadena, if I remember yes, correctly. So yes, he, he, he was he like, was the, I, I think I, I just misspoke earlier when I said he was defensive. I'm, I'm used to him as defense, but I remember right. now yeah, he was an offensive coordinator, just like you were. So you weren't really going head to head, but you were in a way right, still we were, competing. You know, right. We, right. And so and, you know, I think that's what's helping him. That's helped him Absolutely. and me, you know, in our head coaching roles and, you know, him being a seven lakes and the success they've had, you know, and it's been a it's been a slight increase every year, every sure. year. They're just yep. getting better and better. And that's something I would expect from someone like him, you know, that that's that's how he's going to methodically do it, you know. Last question for you, coach. And I, I, I think you came maybe just like the year immediately after I left and you, I was the inside linebackers coach, defensive coordinator the year before. So I got to ask, I mean, so that I'm guessing that was uh, Amari Houston and Michael Toronto. Those were kind of your guys in there. Or do, do you remember players that, that stood out to you from your Ridge point time? Do you give a yeah. shout out to? Yeah. So, uh, man, you're going to stop. I know it was years ago. I put you on the spot. This uh, yeah. Uh, Deleon, he was the fullback, right? He was. Yeah. And yeah, you so guys Deleon, moved him over to linebacker. Though? So they moved him over okay. to linebacker, Deleon. And then there was a kid that transferred from Dulles. Okay. And he was a D lineman. And then we moved him to inside linebacker. And so uh, those were the two starters. And they ended up being first team all district that year. Awesome. So that was kind of that was kind of the, you know, my slight in the coach's office. Like, yeah, I took two guys that weren't linebackers and made them first team all district. Hey, but, that, that's uh, pretty, that's impressive, man. I'd put that on yeah. the resume for sure. 
Yeah. So, uh, but, but yeah, those two guys, they were great. You know, they did everything that that they did. The one thing I did like about what coach Sniffin, you know, we all did those home visits and I got to meet the parents of the position group and uh, you know, meeting, meeting them and, you know, just the, everybody at Richmond was just so appreciative of, of what we were doing over there. Yeah. And then of course, you know, the booster balls, uh, you know, it's fun, didn't you? (laughs) It's a fun deal. I, I had, I had never seen anything that like that before in my life. And there, yep. there, you know, people were buying Cancun vacations and, uh-huh. and auctioning yep. off Mustangs and, uh, you know, artwork. And I'm like, wow, this, this is, this is crazy. So, yeah. uh, but yeah, they, they definitely do the, the booster club and fundraising thing right over there. Yes, sir. And I mean, so it sounds like maybe there was one year in between when I left and when you came, cause I mean, for sure, Amari Houston would have been a guy. And, but I think there was maybe a one year separation right. here. Cause I don't, I don't, you know, um, I definitely, I'm not familiar with the kid from Dulles, uh, but anyhow, so yeah, that, that booster ball, that all started back at Clements. That's kind of where we all came from. We came from Clements. We had that really good 13 and one season, you know, lost the regional final to Katie. We had Derek Carr, Chris Lenore, right. you know, some stars like that. Um, that was under Jeff Hume, you know, Jeff Hume was kind of, when you look, I'm sure you're kind of guys interested in coaching trees. So Jeff Hume was kind of, that's where coach Sniffin came from with the coaching tree. And like you said, Brett did a great job carrying all those things over to Ridge point and, and building up that community. But now this is where coach, I can't even say enough how impressed I was of everything you did at Sharpstown. So you, you know, you, you do get that head coaching position for the first time. I, I, I think I, I think many coaches are guilty of this. And I think I was guilty of this. You kind of talked about a little bit of Pasadena, but sometimes, you know, when you're at a really good program and you see schools that are struggling, Oh, and 10, one and nine, you kind of just, you maybe assume certain things like, Oh, what's going on over there? Like why, why? So, you know, and I think that what we didn't, what I didn't realize at the time, or many of us didn't realize like how much great coaching is going on at these programs. And I learned that firsthand, you know, when I came to Aldine. And so I, what you did, can you, I'll let you, I'll let you describe it in your own words, but I was just so impressed with the, the trajectory. You talk about an upward trajectory. I mean, I wouldn't even call yours incremental. I mean, I'd call it, you know, sudden uptick in production and just talk to me about what did you see when you got there? What was your initial eval? You know, what process, cause this, this is where the coaches listening, I think are really going to be interested because there's a lot of coaches that have, that have been in these positions where they're, they're, they're trying to take over what we maybe call a rebuild. What, Tell us that process. Again, the coaches that are listening, I think they're going to think this is gold. How, what, 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 just describe Sharpstown for us. Yeah, so the, the, the main thing is knowing what you're getting yourself into. You know, you go, you go into a situation and you really don't know what it is. You don't know what the admin's like. You don't know what uh, the records were. You know, everybody kind of pulls their max preps little mm-hmm. report. But, you know, I dived into where, where are we at? How many kids we have? Uh, you know, what is the record? When's the last time we won a game? You know, I, ha- I have it up on the board, even for Aldine right now, which is basically the same process. You know, 2019, the last win, 2015, last district win, 2014, last playoff game, 2009, last playoff win, 1999, last district championship. So if it's not on the board, then how do you even know that that's a goal that you're trying to you're trying to hit? So that that's that's the first part. Right. So uh once you kind of I did that research and I and they're like hey well this is the situation you don't have no money there's no budget there's no nothing you know and uh you know you're gonna have to build everything from scratch and and so I'm like okay so I'm taking over a program and I'm gonna treat it like this school just opened up and we're gonna have to play football this year so coach just uh, one thing on that I just love that you do that I, I had no idea that you did that I love what you did on that board and it brings back a flood of emotion for me when you talk about that 2015 last district win. Like I, I was, 
that, that was in my first year at Aldine. And I'll just never forget that game, man. Like out of all those games we had at Ridgepoint and big wins. And like, that was my proudest coaching game, you know? And that, this is the cool thing about coaching in the fraternity is like, it's, it's just a stat point. But then for those of us that lived it, like that was so huge. I'll never forget. It was a rainy Saturday afternoon morning. Uh, it, you know, it was an SAT morning. So we had a couple of kids that took the SAT and showed up, but we, we were having a rough season, but we were kind of hanging in there. We, we played Mac tough, which is our big rival. And then we got to Nimitz late in the season and it just, something was special in the air. We made the kids breakfast, you know, and just, I could just feel kind of like a good vibe, but the whole week we knew rain was coming and we just did these drills at coach Schallenberger, my offensive coordinator. He's at Klein Kane. Now coach Estrada was my defensive coordinator. He's over at made Creek, but we just really prepared for handling wet footballs. And like, we really focused on it and pounded it and pounded it and pounded it. And I don't know if you probably those huddles probably you don't have that film anymore, but I wish I'd get my hands on it. Cause it was just, uh, it was incredible, man. We were able to just win the turnover battle. We were really winning in the penalty area and all of that. They still drove it all the way to the goal line, had us to take the lead. And Andrew Davis, one of my phenomenal, just all purpose, he won all purpose player of the year that year. He got an interception in the end zone at the end to seal it. And it's just like Nimitz made the playoffs that year. You know, and so we, we had a lot of rough losses, but then it, like, like you said, it, you know, if you coach hard and you just never know when you have that moment where you can you beat a playoff team, you know, and uh, so that I'm sorry to interrupt you, but just, I'm so uh, happy you do that coach. And you, you look back and uh, that just, it, you made my day just to have that memory again, kind of flood back to me, but, uh, but yeah, go ahead, continue on with, with your process. Yeah. And, and there's actually a lot of parallels to, you know, walking in the Sharpstown and then, you know, coming into to Aldine in the same scenario. And so, you know, I get there four days and I'm like, okay, uh, where are the kids? There's six kids in the bleachers. Okay. Are they just late? Are they just not coming? I don't know what's going on here. How does it work here? Did, is this kind of what's been going on? And then next thing you know, okay, you got eight kids in the football program. So that's not enough to even play Ironman football. And so, uh, you know, just hitting the ground with the kids, Hey, you got to recruit your friends. You got to go tell your friends they want to play football. I'm going to be in the, cafeteria I'm gonna be in the hallways I'm gonna talk to teachers teachers start sending me lists of kids and start so we start kind of putting it together and then uh you know over there there's not principals there's deans and so the deans are like hey these kids I think they should play football will help them a lot and so uh you know but even then when you start taking those kids in it's not about them playing football it's about helping them save their life Amen. and so you know when you when you realize that and you talk to them you have those conversations I ask kids all the time you know, what do you want? And so that may strike to some people like, I don't care what they want. What does it matter what they want? They need to come and do what I tell them to do when I tell them to do it. And the the thing is that they don't, you know, want to do it. You know, it goes back to the, the two things that resonate with me, what my dad taught me, you know, all my life growing up was, uh, you know, you can't make anybody do something they don't want to do. And every nothing is, you don't own anything. Everything is borrowed. And so, you know, when you when you bring these kids in, it's like, OK, well, I can't make them do what they don't want to do. They got to want to do it. And I, it's my job to to show them why they want to do it every day, why they got to get up, why they got to come to practice, why they why they, why they got to come up on Saturday. You know, Saturday games will scare the scare me huge at Sharpstown because I'm like, these kids might not show up. Mm -hmm. And so we had a six o'clock game. I had them up there at 10 a.m. You know, and so, yeah, we had kids showing up at 12, one and I'm getting on them and telling them all this and that. And but but I'd rather them be there at one so we could leave on time for the game than them get there and they miss the bus. You know, so, 
those were some of the things that they coming in. It's just like, okay, meet the kids, find out, you know, create the sports, you get them online. And I was glad I did that because I was there four days and they said, you're going home for spring break, take your laptop. We're not coming back to school. Mm. And so right. I lost everything. I lost, this was coming in as a brand. Oh yeah, great. I'm my head coach now. I finally got my dream come true. And then it, everything's at a standstill. Everything's at a halt. And, you know, COVID-19 hits and, you know, we're in a global pandemic. And so we, when we got to the, to the beginning, everything was just, I, I was making huddle videos in, in my driveway, uh, you know, cause I have dummies and line tape at the house, you know, and so I'm, I'm in the driveway showing running back drills, steps, telling them to watch film. I'm telling them, Hey, you're the quarterback. You better be watching my, the, the quarterback videos. And so, you know, we just kind of made it work like that. We'd have a weekly meeting. I talk to the kids, get them on, Hey, put your cameras. On. I don't even know what y'all look like. I don't even know y'all's names, you know, you know, come on. Right. So when we got to, uh, and then all of a sudden then we got the green light and they're like, September 8th, hey, get a football out. Y'all are going to play. And in two weeks you have a game. And so, uh, you know, we won, we won our first game and, and we broke the losing, the three-year losing streak, which they were really, really excited about that. And we were competitive the rest of the year uh, and it was going in the right direction. And then by year two, I knew we were going to be good. I knew we were going to, we were going to make a run. And so, you know, losing to Willow Ridge by one point in overtime, and losing to Sterling by six points, you know, having to come back from a, a 21 point deficit in the first half to only lose by six at the end of the game. You know, it, it those two wins, we're in the playoffs. And so, uh, you know, it was, it was a whirlwind of, of, a, of a season and uh, we were almost right there and it made it even more tough for the kids. Yeah, and I, I am just, again, for th these are all gems. I, I love the approach you take about why do you want it? I mean, I wish I could go back in time and, and, and I wish I could have talked to you then, you know, before and I could learn so much on how I could have done a better job, you know, leading at Aldine, you know, and just helping the kids having those conversations. And I, I remember when you got the job, I texted Dre Thompson, the athletic director at Aldine. I texted Dean Colbert, who kind of like is an assistant that oversees football. And I said, you just made a smash hire. I, you know, I said, because everything he accomplished at Sharpstown, this it, it, it's incredible. Y'all eight kids in the bleachers. You had eight kids in the bleachers, and then the next year you're fighting for a playoff spot. And against Willowridge, I mean, I, I, I don't know Coach Chin Young. Uh, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting him, but I knew Coach Lazaro for so many years. And I was, you know, when I was out there broadcasting and stuff, I'd really get to see his program and intimately like watch offseason. He had that place rocking. You know what I mean? And so to, to get to go from eight kids to going toe to toe with a, a four bend school like Willowridge, I just, I don't know. I, I just, I'm so excited for you to come. Uh, to Aldine, which is a place that I hold dear in my heart. And I'm just, I, I, I'm, I'm right now, I'm, I want fall to get here. But uh, so you, you did it. You, you got to the brink of the playoffs at Sharpstown. Your passion, I just loved it following, you know, sometimes you didn't post stuff from your days at Pasadena, of like a big win. And it was just refreshing to see like some of your former players comment. And then, you know, throughout the Sharpstown process, I love like your posting, like who made all district and things like that. And I just, I always, I'm always like loving those comments and liking them and stuff. And I just, I love seeing that. But there is one person we referenced her a little bit earlier that I think rivals your passion and probably even surpasses it. Your wife, Angela Ojeda. I mean, she is just the, she's got your back no matter what. I love watching the stuff that she posts as well. She's, she's just so supportive. Uh, just can you, can you, she's the epitome of support, you know, can you talk about how important 
your wife, Angela, which I did not know was your high school sweetheart that just love that story. But just how important is it to have a partner like that that supports you in that way? Yeah, we, we could do a whole show just on her. Uh, I know, we're already pushing you know, an hour, I, but this is good stuff. I love this. Yeah, I, I could talk about her all day. But uh, yeah, she's definitely, you know, I, I tell people all the time, no one, I don't think there's any little girls out there right now that are like, oh, I want to marry a coach when I grow up, you know? And so, you know, the the, the schedule, sure, the time tough, commitment, yeah. you yeah. know, uh uh, you know, I, I, I'll just tell you something. She's not, you know, she's not the, she's not the baker. She's not the cooker, but she, she's the rock. And so, you know, everything about her is everything about me is only possible because of her. And so, you know, she's taking my daughter to cheer practice and my son to boxing and, you know, football practice and things like that. And so uh, she really holds down the household, you know, tenfold. And so anything that I need earlier on in my career, you know, I would, uh, I would be at the school and I'd make, Hey, uh, I left my clothes on, on the bed. Can you bring them to me? And, you know, so she, she's like, okay, she's bringing them. And, you know, I got, I got my game. Hey, I, uh, we're wearing white today and I brought my green polo. Can you bring my white polo? And, you know, so just little things like that always, you know, she's there. And then, you know, just the people that she knows and the people she talks to is always just kind of like, you know, this is, this is what we're doing for these kids. And, and so um, we've had, you know, a lot of people that I just call the, the angels, not even friends or boosters, they're angels of the program. You know, they, they're just there and they're caring and, and they want to help and they want to give, provide things to kids that, that they know are in need. And, you know, and so uh, she definitely just does everything for me. You know, uh, she, she's probably going to get mad at and mad about this, but you know, I, there's a, there's a fire to me and I'm in a different place in my life right now. And I kind of told some people that here at Aldine, you know, when I handle things, it's very calm, it's relaxed. My demeanor is like, okay, well, let's, let's, let's figure this out. Let's find a solution mm-hmm. where, you know, in my younger days, I was, I was angry. I was mad. I was, sure. you know, yeah. just the bring the fire kind of thing. And I thought that's who I was supposed to be. But in reality, I had to learn, you know, how to develop in, into the person I am today. And, you know, one of the things that really struck a chord with me is, you know, we, we went through a lot of no's. She's been on the roller coaster ride with me, the ups, the downs. Um, okay, I got first interview. Okay, I got a second interview. Okay, I'm meeting with the superintendent. Okay, hey, I didn't get it. You know, and so she's right there with me to pick me back up and say, keep going, keep going. And so, um, you know, there, there was one moment where, you know, I just got that fire and that anger and, you know, she just looks me dead in the eye with no, with no hesitation because, you know, fear is not anything that I, I try to have. I don't want to be feared. I just want to be, you know, re- I just try to be accountable and respected. And so she looks me dead in the eye and she tells me, she says, this is why you're not a head coach. And so, you know, I was just like, I just stopped. You know, it's, it's yeah. a, it's a, yeah. you know, she didn't go for the knockout. She went for the ice pick to the heart, you know? Yeah. And so, but she, she's the person that can do that. You know, right. she's, she's, she's my soulmate. She's my everything. And so it really, really hit home with me where I'm just like, you know what, this is the one person in my life that is going to tell me the truth no matter what. And so, uh, I looked at her and I said, you know what, you're probably right. And so I started, that was a, 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 a pivotal moment in my life where I'm just like, okay, well, I want this, but am I ready for this? Am I capable of doing this? You know, and so I think for young coaches, you know, giving those nuggets out for young guys, like you may want 
these jobs. You may want to be a coordinator now. You may want to be a head coach now. But there's also a crash and burn aspect to that to where you get it and then it doesn't work out or, you know, and then you kind of realize, like, did I really want that? You know, and so at the end of the day, what you want can't outweigh what what kids need. And so it's not about what where where you feel you should be. It's about what you can do to help kids and whatever role that is. That's where that's where you belong. Man, coach, you you really are so insightful. And you're, you, you, I feel like you're speaking directly to me because I, I felt like I had a great career as an assistant. I did my best to lead Aldine. We didn't meet the expected standards that I had in my head. But looking back on it, I just feel like looking back now where I'm at now, I, I love what I'm kind of doing now. I have I built the brotherhood of my brothers through an 11-year coaching career, but I just love kind of being on the outside. I have my day job in the day that I report to and, and you know have a, have a living, but then I afterwards on my off hours like here early in the morning with you or, or after calls I like I just love highlighting coaches you know I love broadcasting games you know I just I just love like bringing the honor to this sport that it deserves and so I just think you are so spot on about like just digging deep inside and thank you to Angela for giving you that truth bomb you know to help yeah. you to help you find that help me find that too but shout out to Angela Ojeda she's also a top flight real estate agent so any, any of our team players here listening today, if you're looking to make a move, I mean, she'll, she'll get you taken care of. I can promise you that. I, I follow her on social media and see all the properties she's listing. So I just, I'm really glad we, we gave her her flowers because she definitely deserves them. Oh, for Moving sure. on to Aldine. Here we are into the present. So obviously long history of Aldine football dating back all the way to the mid thirties. I know you're a student of the game. You're doing, you've done your homework. You know all about it. You're going to meet a lot of interesting people. Some of them you may have already met. Like, I don't know if you've met Mark McKee yet. He's like the Aldean historian. I don't know if he's come across, introduced himself, but he introduced himself to me, gave me some background. I see that you have met Tommy and, and yes. his buddy, Officer C-Dub, that those, they are the number, you know, Tommy's the number one Mustang fan. I saw some great pictures on social media of you guys just, just hugging it out. And he was so happy, you know, for you to join the program. So, and I'd be remiss to not talk about Bill Smith, you know, Bill Smith, Spent 29 years at Aldine, including uh, leading uh, the team to the 1990 Texas State Championship, even the mythical ESPN National Championship. So coach knows and people listening, it's, it's, it's in the field house. It's sitting right there on the wall. So every time Coach Ojeda walks in the door, he, he walks right past that. So just can you just describe what it's what it's like? I feel like all those no's you endured kind of helped. It just led you to this, which I'm just so excited for you. So just can you describe what it's like to, to be the head coach of the Aldine Mustangs? Well, I think the first thing is is just walking in the building, knowing that, you know, the the room I'm sitting in is where Bill Smith sat, you know, and and those the the players that came through that have gone through college and played for that state championship. And, you know, those two years they played for state championships and then the second year when they won. And so just knowing that that there's a there's a a, a vibe in here that that is constant reminders of everything. The plaques are on the wall, the pictures are on the walls, uh, you know, in the weight room, you have all the, the, the things. So I make sure that the kids say, have you seen that? Have you seen that? And they're like, uh, yeah. And I'm like, but you know what it says? And so we talk about, you know, the past. And so I always talk about the past. You have to know your past before you know your future. And so while, you know, um, history is very important to me, this is what we talk about is, Okay, you've seen it. I'm, I'm, I'm being the dead horse. You know, you've seen it. It's there. It's a constant reminder. Aldine, the glory days, the '90s. And so, you know, what are y'all gonna do to get your year on the board? When? What are you gonna do to get your picture on the wall? What are you gonna do to get us a plaque? And so, uh, that work and that realization, I think the, the, the mental piece is, 
a huge part of what I focus on. And, and I'm gonna be honest with you, I've been here a month, a month and a half now, and we have not talked one X's and O's, not one, because everything else is about laying the foundation. You know, it's just kind of like one, one of those things where if you start, if you start building the walls and you haven't laid the foundation, the wall is going to fall. So I don't want to build anything yet until we have that foundation of them understanding what their role is. I don't, I don't want excuses. I don't want people to tell me what I can't do. I'm just going to go see what we can do. And so it's, it's little things like when they say kids won't come on Saturday. Well, if we have a game, they come. So why can't they come on Saturday? You know, and it's just that opportunity. This uh, this Saturday, we're supposed to go down to the uh, Lyman Challenge at Clear Lake. And so I got a group of kids and I've already had a couple. So, OK, we'll take the form home to your parent and talk to them. Well, coach, I got to work. OK, I know you got to work. Did you work last Saturday? Oh, well, no, I was out. OK, well, let's have that conversation and let's see what you need to do. I know you need to support your family. I fully support you guys supporting your family, working, doing what you you can do. But if you're going to make a commitment, we got to find a balance. And finding that balance is a key thing. It's not choose one or the other. Let's find a balance on how we can make it work together. Hey, Amen. You know, Coach, the main reason I started this podcast was because coaches were always my heroes growing up. I want to highlight the positive impact that coaches make on our communities and our young people. So I want to start, you know, obviously we talk a lot about for, for coaches on this. Like you've, you've dropped so many gems. I want to turn to the parents. You know, I, my hope is also that parents start listening to this. And the reason being, I want parents to see how professional the, the men and women that are leading their babies are. You know, every guest I've had, I just hold the highest esteem, you know, and I just want parents to see that. So I, I want to ask you just your advice to a parent, because I, mean, I think we have some great parents out there. And then sometimes I see parents that maybe make choices that make it not the best experience for their kids in their athletic career. What, what advice would you give to a parent? Um, to give their child the best experience possible in athletics? Right. I think just, just providing that, that structure at home that helps foster them being a, a student athlete. And so, you know, focusing on their academics, knowing their grades, knowing their attendance, knowing uh, that they're at practice or they're where they're supposed to be. And so I think just being very supportive of your student athlete is very important. And, uh, you know, there, there's a huge shift right now in that trust the process. You know, you tell a parent, hey, just trust me, I'm going to do a good job. And then there's an upset moment along the way where it feels like that trust was broken somewhere, right? My, my, uh, my kid's playing out of position. My kid's supposed to be over here instead of over here. They've been this all their life through youth football, and then now you got them playing over here. And so, uh, you know, being a parent myself and then coaching youth football, as long as I did with my dad and then being around it, you know, I know that um, a parent, your number one responsibility is your child. So, of course, that that's going to be the, the focus of the conversation. And then, you know, that conversation is going to gravitate towards what's best for the team. How can we be successful? And I think that when things are very successful, the roles are a little bit easierly uh, accepted. And then when things are bad, it's like, well, you have that kid there, but my kid is better. And so then you kind of create those situations where uh, how do you lose? You know, it's if you're losing by 70, 60, then maybe some changes do need to be made. And then, you know, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a power struggle on whether that should be done, but that should be the thought process every single week. Every single week we start our weekend 
with a personnel meeting, you know, who needs to be on what, who needs to be where and who needs to be doing what, who's been working where and who knows what to do. And so um, that that's a key component that I think is just the understanding of the coaches do we, as coaches, we do understand a parent's role is to advocate for their child. And then the parents understanding that the coach's job is to do what's best for the team. And I think that when you marry that in the middle, there's a great relationship with, with uh, coaches and parents. And then when there's issues arise, you have to listen, you know, you have to listen to what their, what their concerns and, and things are. And then maybe there's some things that they don't know is going on. And then they, they've already come to a conclusion. So you kind of have to listen in order to know what the response is to tell them what, what needs to happen. And so ultimately at the end of the day, you know, being a student is a top priority. And then the extracurricular part is, is how they, how they're going to develop as an adult. You know, everybody talks about being better sons, better brothers, better fathers, you know? And so, you know, the extension to that for me is how do you just become a better person to where the quality of your life is that much better? You know, and so um, that's the goal of what we have in our program that we have in our program that we've are, we started from day one. You know, a lot of guys come in, it's like, okay, well, I'm gonna see what's going on. I'm gonna see, you know, I kind of was just like, no, this is what we're doing. Here's the schedule. Here's the plan. This is where I need everybody to be. And this is how we're going to start it. And then we did. Coach, you, you, earlier in the episode, you, you told that the funny story about the kid getting on the ball and sitting on it like an egg. And I, I thought that was just great for for young coaches, you know, to really realize like sometimes or any coach really that we're dealing with people that may just be brand new to the game. I want to take, I want to elevate this a little bit. So for our coaches listening that aspire to becoming into like a campus athletic coordinator position, which is also tied to your job as head football coach. This is something I, I I'm very interested in because I, I felt like I learned a lot in my two years at, you know, in, in that, in your position at Aldine high school. And I always want to learn more. What, what, what are, what are just some gems you can share to our, our coaching fraternity that, that, loon, that tunes into the podcast as far as that role as the, for the, so no, no football, but just the campus athletic coordinator role. What, what advice and gems can you give to us? It's a, it's a responsibility. So there, there's kind of two things that, that you really, really have to accept consistency and accountability. And so if you are holding people to a accountability standard that you don't hold yourself then you can't hold them accountable to that because they're going to have a, they're going it, to, it's not really ammo. It's just, they have a rebuttal. And so if I, and I'm telling coaches, you got to be a duty every, every day, as soon as we start receiving kids, you have to be in your, in your spot. And so if I'm not in my spot and I'm not doing my part, then how am I supposed to hold them accountable to that? And so, uh, you know, being consistent with what you do every day that I've already you know, I talk to the head coaches and things. They're like, hey, yeah, I already let everybody know. Every time I pull up, that truck's already there outside the field house. So coach is already here. And y'all got, he he's seen, because if he's here first, he's seeing everybody that's coming in when you come in. And so, uh, you know, just the accountability and, and consistency is really the two things that have, and it's not easy. That's loaded. That's really, really loaded. And so, you know, when we say, okay, we're going to have a meeting and I need everybody on time. And I'm rolling up trying to trying to get everything scrambling to get it ready. And there's people here before me and I called the meeting. Well, then that that's on me. Then it's like, oh, well, coach is usually five minutes late. I'll start being five minutes late. And so even though you kind of would like for everybody to to hold themselves accountable and do what the right thing, you have to do that to yourself. And so 
in that role, I think that's in a nutshell what it is, you know, the structures, the planning, uh, how do you come in the building? How do you come out of the building? How do you take them out? How do you work with the athletic trainers? And so the communication structure and then the movement structure are really the, the key components. And if you're not focusing on those things, then you start, you're starting to be reactive with everything as you go. So if the plan's in place and it's proactive, then you can give reminders as opposed to, okay, that's on me because I didn't plan that out for you guys. And then, you know, that's now we got to put this in place. And so it's just being proactive with everything. And right now, you know, I'm, I'm chomping at the bit, you know, trying to get everything in place and get ready for spring ball and get ready for the summer and then get ready for the fall. And so, but I, I still have to give that attention to all the other sports and make sure that I'm meeting their needs. Coach, you've dropped so much great knowledge for us on this episode, but let, let's finish with a little bit of fun. We always finish with our guests. We have a, we play a little bit of our game, start, bench, cut. So basically, I'm going to give you three names. You got to tell me. Basically, it's you're ranking them one, two, three, right? Who would, who would you start? Who would you bench? And who would you unfortunately have to cut? So we're going to start with a little bit of a Coug edition. You're a former quarterback, so we're going to have play uh, playoff quarterbacks today. Start, bench, cut. Andre Ware, Heisman Trophy winner, David Klingler, Klingler and Case Keenum. Start bench cut. Oh man, that's that's pretty tough. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm a I'm an underdog myself, so yep. you know I'm I'm but you know as a coach, the coaching piece of me, you know, yep. you really have to do you you put the best players on the field. That's right. And so you know, Andre Ware would definitely have to start. Yeah. Uh, I think I would you know on the bench uh, you know what you said start start bench and cut so cut would be the worst cut cut would be third place oh man uh i think i would probably i never saw a clinger play sure, sure uh but you know and i was there for keenum when when they beat texas tech right there yeah. on the goal line and that's that, right i think i would keep keenum uh bench him and then i'd cut clean cut that, that's that i mean i'm i'm a I, I'm I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't. I know, do this to all of our guests. <laughs> Caitlin Riley about how to she almost passed out last week. I put under so much pressure. Yeah, uh, I don't even know how how I could do that. So I'm gonna give you an open-ended one. It's the first time I've given open-ended since again, I you're a quarterback expert, you played it all your life. Give me your I'm this is my first open-ended one. Just give me your top three quarterbacks of top three NFL quarterbacks of all time. I'm really curious on this. All right. So growing up. Okay. I, I got to go with Joe Montana. Okay. And I know, I like, okay. And so, you know, Joe Montana to me uh, with, with what he was able to do with his arm strength, his, his intangibles, his, his mind being just that kind of that cerebral, cerebral uh, okay. quarterback, you know, Joe Montana is just my all time favorite. Uh, I had to relinquish the GOAT title. I made an argument for years and years and years uh, about, you know, Joe Montana is the GOAT, not Tom Brady, you know, sure. so, but uh, I have to acknowledge the realness, right? Yeah. Of it. So, so Joe Montana, Tom Brady, and uh, I would have to say, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a huge uh, Houston fan. So, you know, I, I kind of put a couple of these guys in the same category, but, you know, Warren Moon is really, Amen. really, Yes, you know one of the the best quarterbacks that never won a Super Bowl, along yes. with Dan Marino type thing. You know, so sure. uh, I would put those three guys. You know, I love it. I love to throw in the Warren Moon in there because he doesn't. I don't think he gets the run that he deserves for sure, especially the way that it all shook out, never getting the chance and going to Canada for Edmonton. I I, I totally agree with you, Coach. 
Now you and I are kind of the same era. So th this one just reeks of me to my childhood. I want to do a class of 83 edition. I want you to, I'm going to go back to start bench cut. I think I know who your number one is going to be from what you just said, but I want to hear start bench cut of Elway, Marino, and Jim Kelly. I'm curious your thoughts on those three. Uh, I'm going to start Dan Marino. I'm yep. going to bench Elway. And then I'm going I'm to cut Kelly. Oh, man. He's like, he was all Houston gambler. I thought you might give him a little nod. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I'm mean, not. And, and that's really that's really when I was old enough to start watching football, knowing football, or not knowing football, sure, but just sure, being sure. being immersed in the game of, yeah. you know, what I'm seeing on TV kind of thing. You know, that's just that's just kind of – and I, I don't really – yeah. Yeah, I mean – how, how do you do that? You know, you're just making, I'm giving it, right? I'm throwing you the hardest ones possible. I'm going to do one more, just a current day edition for our fans, maybe our younger listeners. And maybe, maybe they don't know all the people we've been talking about, but typically when you talk about the three more modern era quarter, not modern era, but just very more recent, it's a Brady. Um, it's a Peyton Manning and it's an Aaron Rodgers debate. So I'm curious, your start bench cut between uh, Brady, Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting Brady. And then Manning's on the bench, and uh, that's that's a good fantasy team right there, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and then you know I got to cut Aaron Rodgers for those for those three of what sure, they are. Sure, 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 sure. All right, that was a lot of fun. Now, coach, the last thing I want to talk about before I let you get back to it, I only got a ton to do today. Your your involvement in the Hispanic Texas High School Football Coaches Association. I've just I've, I'm I'm just such a supporter of this organization. I've just been following you guys and just you know supporting any way that I can. I mean, what 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 does it mean? You know, just, just describe to the listeners kind of just your, your mission with the organization and, and what it's meant uh, to have this, this much needed organization come to life. Yeah. And, and, you know, thanks for bringing that up. You know, one of the huge things, and this, this is a, a segue, not, not just to the Hispanic Coach Association, but also THSCA. We are THSCA. You know, that is, that is what we model. We're not modeling after we're, we're there to support the, the diversity initiative of THSCA and having conversations with Joe Martin and Glenn West, you know, they actually came and met with us because that's an important thing that they feel is, is something that we want to bring to the table. And from that, we've had uh, uh, our members become rock mentors in the, in the THSA rock mentoring program uh, and mentees in the program. And then we also, Coach Asento, our president, is on the idea committee uh, to help bring ideas to the table to help diversify the, the profession. And so, uh, you know, hitting the ground running of, of what we did really, really took the pandemic as a huge negative and, and the losses that everybody's had and that, that uh, you know, I don't think that there's anything you can bring a, a light to that when you have people that, that lost their lives to the pandemic. Uh, but we, we tried to do our best in that, that environment to where you took, take a bunch of guys that have no time and then now all of a sudden they have all this time. You know, you're sitting at home uh, doing doing nothing, waiting for them to tell us we can do something. Mm -hmm. And so that's where everything uh, went went about. So we want to do it right. We want to do it first class. You know, we have our, our 501c3 tax exemption. We're a registered association with the state of Texas. And so, uh, you know, our biggest mission is helping foster an environment where we can help qualified coaches in the profession we're losing people not just in teaching but in coaching at an alarming rate and so when coaches are trying to fill staffs and they're unfilled and then you know what do we do 
you know, where, where do we go? Where do we turn to when there's no, there's no candidates? I've been fortunate enough that, you know, I posted some jobs and I've, and I've received a lot of uh, uh, resumes to try to try to come here. And I, and I appreciate people wanting to come be part of what we're doing, but uh, you know, there, there's a huge gap in the profession of, you know, you don't have to be a certain color or race to coach a kid, but there is that aspect. It's realized that me growing up, I didn't have any, I had one Hispanic coach and he was there for one year. He was a freshman coach. And so when, when you kind of start having like, Hey, that guy's a head coach, that guy's an athletic director of a district, that guy is a, a coordinator. I want to do that. And so when some kids grow up, you know, where they say, I want to be a coach when I grow up, I didn't grow up saying I want to be a coach when I grow up. Well, maybe I've inspired some people to be a coach when they grow up. You know, Renee Fuentes is actually one of my former players and he's a coach at Deer Park right now. And so he's one of my former players that went on to be a coach. And, you know, we talk, you know, uh, uh, periodically and, and, you know, I have, and you talk about mentoring and it's just, you know, helping create that situation. And when guys want to be head coaches, then the association is there to just be like, Hey, uh, let's do a mock interview. Let's, let's talk about some things. And people call me all the time. It's like, Hey, what should be in my portfolio? What should be in this? And not just me, but other members in the association. And so when we network with each other and we create that environment, you know, now we're willing to help. And so when you're in a situation where there's no one there that's helping you, well, then you have somewhere to go. You have a network to go to. And obviously we, we encourage people to go to their head coaches, go to their athletic directors, go to their principals, tell them their goals and that, that communication should be there. And then whenever you start preparing, you know, what needs to be there. And a lot of people don't know that, you know, how do you, how, how have you even thought of some of the questions that are being asked in these interviews? And most of them have nothing to do with football. So you focus all your attention on being a great football coach. You get in the room and they don't ask you one football question because that's what you're an expert in. Well, you're supposed to be an expert in being an administrative type person. Absolutely. With being a great football coach. I, I love that mission coach. I just, I, I love what you said about you. you had one Hispanic coach in your time at Pasadena. And I think that visual representation is so important. Um, I think a lot of people, some of the team players that listen regularly may know this, but I'm, I'm actually half Japanese. Like you may not know about looking at me or seeing my name. Seem, you know, it seems like a Polish white guy, but I was born in Tokyo. My mom's Japanese. I lived there for a year. And I think about that often. Like when I got the job, I know Richard Delgado, who was RAD at the time and kind of, you know, real important in my life. And he was just excited to have an Asian American in a sense, football coach, making it to that level. And I think about it from my Asian perspective, like I don't see anybody like, I don't see any Asians hardly playing coaching. And so I just, I think, I think what you, what y'all are doing that experience you described when you were a kid to where you, where you're at now, and just seeing this vibrant, robust organization of so many, so many great coaches. I, I could, I mean, Adam Ramirez, we've already had on the show. You know, I know I want to bring Sergio Gonzalez on and so many others, you know, just, there's just so many great coaches out there that they're making a difference. And I hope that you guys can be an inspiration for other, other groups as well. You know, maybe like someone like myself or other Asian Americans, you know, that maybe don't feel like football is a, or sports or coaching at that in high school is the place for them. I, I, I just love what you're doing, coach. I'm 100% behind it. And I'm so happy that you joined us today. I think everybody that tuned in enjoyed this one. It was a long one, but we had so much to talk about. You had so much knowledge. We had so much in common. Uh, please take a moment to give us a five-star review if you listen today. This is how we move the charts so uh, more people can hear the stories from coaches making an impact in our communities. Hit that follow button to subscribe and hear more stories of coaching and leadership as soon as they come out each week. Hey, join the team player revolution. 
share your stories about coaches that influence your lives. You can email us at teamplayerpodcast at gmail.com. Who knows? We may read your story at the end of the episode, or maybe your story will be inspiration for a new episode of the show. As always, the cover art and music for Team Player Podcast is provided by two of my former players that I'm so proud of. Cover arts by Kaiser St. Cyr. If you need any work done, you can email me at teamplayerpodcast at gmail.com and I'll connect you. His work is awesome. And our intro and exit music is One More Good Enough from Avrion's self-titled debut album. I listen to this most mornings to get my mood, my mood right. You can find his music on all platforms by searching Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. Big thanks again to our guest, Cirillo Ojeda. Thank you so much to all the team players out there for your support, and we'll catch you all down the road. All right. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Coach. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy Initially ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy 